the end of the day, no matter what you do for work, you want to feel like you're like you're helping in some way, right? Welcome to Elements of Styles, the business podcast that trades in scarce thinking for community, conversation, and ideas in abundance. Each week, I, Mark Styles, sit with professionals and entrepreneurs, both local and global, and learn how they each add value to their communities, their partners, and their teams. Please enjoy. Hey, folks, welcome back to Elements of Styles. Today, I am grateful to have Jeff Pylon of Radius Financial Group. Jeff is a mortgage loan professional. Hey, Jeff, welcome to the show. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me. When did you get into the business? I got into the mortgage business in 1989. And that was two years after I got out of college. I graduated with a finance degree from Northeastern. Um, I, I, you know, I put my toe in the water right out of school on that kind of entry level sort of finance job analyst doing a lot of, um, you know, between reporting and then I segued into a commercial real estate loan officer training program, which was uh, very interesting to me. Um, however, it coincided, if you, if you remember what happened in 1988, 89, you had the SNL, um, SNL crisis, basically, right? As a result of uh, the 86 tax law change, which made passive losses, you couldn't take them against income. So really huge impact, um, banks failing all over the place. And before I really get out of the gate in commercial lending, um, the bank I was working with, Shawmut Bank at the time, um, cease and desist by the FDIC, no more commercial loans, everybody's out. So I saw that writing on the wall about a month or two before my colleagues that were in the same, um, same training as me. So I said, I, you know, I have to do something. I like finance. I like working with people. Residential's going to be the only really avenue I can do that. So I jumped into the mortgage, residential mortgage business and everyone thought I was crazy. Like, oh, you can get a salary. We don't even have to do anything. You know, it's great. And I'm like, how long do you think that's going to last? And sure enough, you know, within 60 days, everybody was fired. So, so that's how I got into it. So Shamit Bank, commercial training, finance degree. Are you getting a salary at this new place? In commercial, yes. But no, residentially, how it worked then and how it works now, uh, residential loan officers, originators, um, you can get a drawer against your production, future production to kind of keep you going while you get started, which is what I did. But um, no, it's, um, it's, a, it's a business development, 100% commission situation. So um, it was, but I was young, I didn't have any kids. Um, so I could take that risk and not worry about like losing my house. I didn't own a house at the time. Um, and it worked out. It's just uh, getting started in this or any type of sales where it's 100% is, um, is just time and a lot of hard work and meeting as many people as you can and trying to be good at what you do, even though you just started it. And uh, so it, it worked out for me as a, you know, a couple of years of, of um just a lot more hustle and a lot less income. But um, when you stick at it and you persevere, then um, it, you know that, that all works itself out. So that's 1989 
Eat What You Kill, Residential Mortgage Loan Officer, Jeff Pylon. I'm 25 years old. Right. Put all of your trust and life savings with me. Let's go. How did you do that? Well, it's not so much life savings and trust. I'm not asking people to let me manage the portfolio of everything they own. True. They're coming to me looking for uh, financing to buy a home. And as you know, in, in, in the mortgage world, there's slight variances in terms of cost and rate and things like that. Um, but they're very slight in the big scheme of things. So um, it's really to gain that business as a younger person, it's just um, surround yourself, learn as much as you can from, from the place you work and the people that have the experience. Um, ask the questions that you don't have the answers to and tell your clients that you don't have their answer, but you're gonna get it for them promptly. Um, and then first and foremost, Mark, just, just uh, have integrity, always tell the truth. So that is something that, um, that's the number one. Um, there's guys that are smarter than other guys. I'm smarter than some guys and there's a lot of guys smarter than me, but my word's always good, always has been, always will be. And um, I think that's really the game changer in the last 30, was it 33 years, 32 years is um, it's just, developing that trust by always, always having integrity. So. So 33 years, you know, that's a, that's a nice long career. That's seen a lot of different borrowers, loan products, cycles, and, you know, temptations to get involved in some of those more uh, exotic loan products that pay a bigger commission. But telling the truth, having the integrity, how do you, how do you, Jeff Pylon, deliver that difficult news, right? As a professional, it's not always good news. How do you deliver the bad news? Well, I think that's what makes, um, that's what makes, you know, a professional, a professional and somebody who's just sort of fleeting and bouncing around in careers is uh, we all know people that can't deliver bad news for whatever reason. Um, but I just treat people the way I would want to be treated if our, if our chairs were different and I was on the other end of it. If there's not so good news, they have to know that. And that's, that's more important than all the, all the high fives and all the great news. The, the bad news is the, it's actually the most critical news. If, if there is bad news or if there's news that might not be what everyone is hoping for, um, has to be communicated early and often. So um, kind of like ripping the Band-Aid off. I mean, if you don't, if everyone's not aware of potential issues on whatever we're talking about, whatever transaction, whether it be, you know, credit or low appraisal or somebody for some reason doesn't qualify that was unbeknownst at the beginning, um, that has to be communicated instantly because if something's going to be salvaged, everyone needs the right intel, the real deal, so they can figure out, okay, can it be salvaged, number one? And if so, how do we get around this obstacle? But, you know, I can't tell you how many times in my career I've had to pick up the ball um, weeks into a transaction where someone started with someone else and didn't get the bad news that or the whatever news 
that they needed to get. And it was, you know, weeks and now contracts are ticking, all the timelines are ticking and um, it all could be avoided. So um, I don't like the fact that sometimes you have to step in and clean up a mess, but I also do like the fact that I've done it so many times and kind of, um, and, th and then the other thing is some people say, hey, here's what happened over here and here's why, but they didn't tell me for a month can you help me? And if I know the real deal, there's oftentimes it's like, no, I'm sorry, I can't, but I would have told you that in 10 minutes, not a month. So quick. No, I love the quick. No, quick. No is better than a long. No, Ugh, the long drag out hide hope that it will go away. No, it doesn't usually work. Hope's not a strategy, Mark, as well, we know. No, you are on an Island with hope. But let's talk about the path of your career. So we, we're going back to 1989, the, the rise after the savings and loan. We start to see lower rates. Where does your career go from first mortgage residential shop to where you are today? Yeah, so um, obviously a lot of cycles. So my first mortgage residential shop was a small company out of Quincy, um, kind of a startup, but, um, and broke in the broker model. So not lender, but back then the broker model was actually a lot more functional than it is now. It was pretty easy. Um, and then I moved on from that. Uh, I was there until 91. And then I joined a independent mortgage bank that was partially owned by a bank. Um, the guys that I worked for used to run the bank Boston mortgage group. So they were real mortgage bankers. Um, bank Boston mortgage group went away in the late eighties. They started this and I was with them for, for nine years and just, um, you know, then they sold the place and they sold it to a little savings bank. I'm not going to name all the institutions. Right confidentiality and all. Wow, well, it's um, not necessary. And so suddenly I'm working for this little savings bank instead of, um, you know, being a mortgage professional, I'm sitting in meetings talking about how they want me to cross sell checking accounts when someone inquires about a mortgage, auto loans, you know, all the bank products, and they didn't really care about the mortgage space. Um, I did and I do. So, um, so yeah, so then Moved on, started my own thing in 19, no, yeah, late 89, late 99, early 2000, started a, um, started my own independent, um, jumped in actually with a national sort of a franchise. It was uh, mainly under the broker model. We could act as a mortgage banker also, but it was just easier at the time to just broker it out. And that was when the product line got really, really loose. So 1996, if you remember, President Clinton signed the Community Reinvestment Act, which was drafted by Barney Frank from Massachusetts. And I think Chris Dodd might've had something to do with it. And now we have Dodd Frank, which is what we're under now. But so these guys go way back and the Community Reinvestment Act led, led to um, much looser money. Um, really got away, man, federally mandated, even Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, um, in addition to everybody else, it really mandated them to relax their lending standards 
so more people would have access to mortgage money. Um, and it kind of had the philosophy that home ownership was a right. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't as racially charged then as it is kind of now. So it wasn't really a racial demographic, but it was the fact that um, Community Reinvestment Act just wanted more home ownership in kind of impoverished areas. Um, but the reason the market didn't let that, didn't really dictate that was because in some of those areas, you know, unemployment was very high. So there was just a lot of people in the areas that they wanted to increase home ownership that just really couldn't own a home. They either didn't have a job or their credit was awful or, and by relaxing the standards um, for underwriting and providing mortgages, so, so in, in, for those reasons that I just um, outlined, that the Community Reinvestment Act was one of the main drivers of what happened in the subprime mortgage crash, uh, which was devastating um, because even Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were doing um, mortgages, conventional mortgages backed by the US taxpayer that didn't require any income documentation that didn't require proving where the down payment came from, that went up to 100% of the value of the house. So, you know, all these, all these super risk factors were, had made their way into um, not just like hard money, subprime, this or that. We'll talk about that in a second. But this was Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. We're doing 100% stated income mortgages and those were backed by the U.S. taxpayer. So it really got pretty crazy, went to a huge extreme. Um, what year are not we, gonna get, what years, What year are we talking about? So you opened 99, 2000, uh, Community uh, Reinvestment Act, 1996, acorns come in, the whole deal. What year are you starting to see like, oh, wow, Fannie and Freddie, 100%, no doc, oh, wow, Wall Street, yeah. oh, wow. Yeah, that had really started to drip in um, probably, I want to say in 03, maybe early 04. Um, but the interesting thing is, um, so we did a lot of conventional lending, we did government lending, but we also had, um, there was so much demand for mortgage paper at the time. So that's when you had these subprime outfits um, that would do anything really, um, and adjustable loans, and then they would they somehow uh, hoodwinked the financial markets into securitizing them into mortgage-backed securities. And that's, you know, when that started to crumble, then, then that was really it. But the crazy thing was the, these, these sales reps or these account execs from the different um, big, you know, the big lenders that wanted to buy, you know, retail origination from people like me, they would come in to the office all the time just to talk about, hey, uh, here's what we're doing now. And you guys might be able to use this. Like you, now you only need a 580 credit score to borrow hundred percent of the value of the house. And I used to sit there and every month it got just more and more and more insane and loose. And, and I remember looking at my business partner at the time after one of these people left, and this is probably in 04, 05, you know, a couple of years before it actually happened. And I just said, man, when this blows up, it is going to be awful. And, <laughs> and it, it lasted a couple years more, but 
it was just uh, really remarkable. So, so yeah, um, you know, 07 really started it, culminated in 08. And I had 19, I think, 18 or 19 wholesale correspondence that, that I would regularly sell mortgage paper to that I originated in, in you know, on the South Shore. And, and um, by summer of 2008, there was only one left. The rest of them had either gone out of business, exited the space, you know, too many losses. So, so I said, well, I still have, even in 08, when things were not good, I still had plenty of people looking to buy houses. And, and so my, my network was out there, but I also realized that if I couldn't get their deals done for them, then my number was going to wind up in the circular file. So I, um, that's when I came to Radius. And Radius is um, run by two people that I've known since the 90s. Um, and very, very smart people. They were well capitalized. They were an independent mortgage bank. So direct lender, but not a broker, but they weren't a bank. So it's kind of that's my... So a mortgage broker basically has relationships with lenders and you originate, you're the, you're the point person with the customer. Um, you take all their information, you screen it, you underwrite it, but then you don't have the money to fund the loan. So then once you've packaged it all up and it's all neat and tight, they have to look at it, they have to bless it, and then they fund it in their name. And then they just pay you like a little bit of money. So so you never have, you're not the lender, you're, you're a broker, you're brokering, brokering a piece of business. Like I said, that worked for a while, worked great for a while. Doesn't work so great now. Um, and then a bank is a bank where you're talking about checking accounts and doing this and doing that. So the big banks, even though there's some good people that work there, they do a lot of different things. They don't focus on mortgages. So sometimes their mortgage operations um, could be better because they're doing too many things. Um, so independent mortgage banker is what Radius is. And that's all we do. And we, so we're the lender, but we're not distracted by other products like car loans and student loans and credit cards and checking accounts. So, um, so this you is- can, You control the transaction, you fund it, you underwrite it, you commit it, unlike a broker who's at the, at the uh, peril of the final lender investor, you actually control it, underwrite it, process it, fund it, close it, then sell it to somebody else, or do you keep that? Well, so Radius is um, service actually building quite a quite a um, sizable servicing portfolio. Um, we're you know direct endorsed FHA, VA, um, Fannie Mae, and Freddie Mac. We're direct. So um, we're starting to service um, a large percentage of our production. Um, and that's good for a couple of reasons I won't really get into in this conversation. But um, uh, prior to that, before they decided to um, build the servicing out, yeah, so we would control it. We're the lender, we would fund it. But within 60 to 90 days, we would sell the servicing of that loan and the servicing being who's collecting the payments. Um, because we didn't, it really wasn't worth it for us to take the small servicing release premium that Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac pay to the big servicers. Um, 
it was just better not it takes you you need to staff that it takes you off your core mission like you were talking about the difference between a bank so taking you off your core mission the the owner of the loan is not you but somebody is gonna actually collect payments and pay taxes and stuff that is set up to do that. That's their core business, where your core business is originating, doing a really good job exactly. as a consumer, controlling the process, unlike a broker, right? A broker can't commit the loan, right? They can't uh, underwrite the loan. They're at the whim of somebody else, which again, as you mentioned, was a great model. It was actually the encouraged model back in the late 90s, early 2000s. But you have the best of all worlds where you're laser focused on that experience, that mortgage experience, and only that mortgage experience. And that's Radius. So you're still there since 2008? I am. I am still here. And I expect to be here until I don't, um, until I don't do mortgages anymore. So at least that's my hope. Um, the people here, and I know a lot of people in, you know, over the course of three decades, um, these are as smart a people as you can find in the mortgage space. Um, super plugged in all the way down to the MBA in Washington, D.C. Uh, their commitment to their employees and their clients and their referral partners is like nothing I've ever seen before. It's awesome. Um, they spend a lot of money uh, on technology. Um, some of the technology platforms we use here uh, we might've been in the top three in the country to adopt. And that might've been a few years ago when no one was even thinking about it. Um, so they have their finger on the pulse um, and always trying to make our jobs more, um, not our jobs, they're always trying to make our clients experience better with the use of technology, endless training, uh, quality people and just core values, right? So. Radius's core values are, uh, they're all over. We've branded them. The marketing people here have branded, really branded this thing. So, you know, we're results driven. We're customer obsessed. Um, Character matters, you know, so anybody can go to our website and see, oh, we don't really see that at some of the other lenders' websites. Like these are, these are, this is all over our office, our offices, which are now in 19 states. So we've grown quite a bit since I've been here. Um, so yeah, that's why I'm here. That's why I would like to stay here and just keep the journey going. It's important that you know the core values, believe them, and they actually the company lives them as opposed to, you know, some leader going to a seminar, getting core values and putting them up on the wall, but yet nobody lives by them. You guys are very focused on the culture of things at Radius. Yeah, the, the culture is where everything starts, right? So, um, and I have been here a while. When I joined this company, there was 28 people here. And now there's 228 people here. Wow. So, you know, I've, wa- I've really watched it um, evolve into something. But I'll also say um, the core values, people come and go around here. And the, the main reason they go is they don't adopt the core values. So sometimes it's not their choice to go or not. They, they're asked to leave because they won't adopt the culture. And we can't have that when we're trying to, we're really trying to instill that in everyone here. So it's, a, it's, a, it's just a consistent service level with our, with our customer base. And you get the wrong person that doesn't adopt it. Um, you know, that one person could poison the, 
poison the pond for the rest of us. So, um, so they do. They, if you're working at Radius, you adopt the core culture or you don't work here very long. That's great. That's great. So let me ask you this. <clears throat> Who is your ideal borrower? My idea, I have so many, Mark. Um, actually, if I, had to, if I had to just describe who I like to work with, who I like to help um, as a customer, it would be the person who, um, who asks questions, listens to the answers, um, and just, just can maybe appreciate um, what we're trying to do for them. Um, so for example, you know, we work with a lot of first-time buyers and this is a big deal for them. It's a big deal for everybody, but first-time buyers don't have any, any idea of what to do, what to expect. And so I would say I like to work with first-time buyers. I like helping the younger people. I was one once and, and, um, and just walking them through the experience and, um, and just letting them know that if, if, if they do what we ask them to do, if they provide what we need, it's going to be very smooth and they're going to be very happy. And the ones that, the, the ones that really uh, embrace that and, and work with us like that, um, that's just a great experience. It's good for them. And it's also really good for us because at the end of the day, no matter what you do for work, you want to feel like you're, like you're helping in some way, right? So that's what I've taken away from my career. I'm not, I'm not a missionary. I'm not, um, I didn't start a food bank. Uh, maybe I'm not that great of a guy, but I have helped a lot of people. I have helped a lot of people um, achieve home ownership and, and I'm proud of that. So let me ask you this. And by the way, I do think you're a great guy. Um, if someone were to take the time after closing to write a testimonial or a review for Jeff Pylon, what, what would that sound like? Well, I, uh, we do ask them to do that, and most people do. And the vast majority of them, um, they thank us, me, my team. Um, and I, I, it's not all about Jeff Pylon because whoever you are, whatever you do, you're only as good as the people you surround yourself with. So everyone here gets the credit from the, from the, from the guy who answers the phone to the guy who presses the button to fund the loan, but um, the underwriters, the processors, the assistants. So it's a, it's a team thing. Um, and most of, the, most of the feedback is your communication was excellent. Your team was very thorough. Um, uh, the follow-up was great. We always knew what to expect. Um, and that's the kind of stuff I like to see because that's what we're supposed to be doing. And that's what we're pretty good at. And that's part of your core, core value. I love it. If someone were to ask you, hey, Jeff, I'm fresh out of um, college. I got a finance degree. I want to get into the mortgage industry. What's your advice to them? Well, um, probably gets asked to me at least two or three times a week. So really? Um, yeah. So my advice to them is um, that's great. There's, it's not like it was when I started. There were very few barriers to entry back in, you know, 1989. Um, 
you know, we've come all the way through the cycles and the, um, you know, the regulatory um, hawks. So right now the, you know, the licensing requirements are ongoing. Um, the finance part of it's easy. The thing I, uh, when I interview someone, so I'm assuming like somebody's in my office looking for a job, right? I don't care what their GPA was and I don't care what school they went to and what's hanging on the wall as far as the degree goes. Um, I'm looking for someone that can get through a conversation, can just talk to me. I'll know in 15 minutes whether they'll be able to make it or not. And I've, I'm, not, I'm not bragging about that, but if someone can't make it through 15 minutes with me, and I have a feeling that they might not be a people person and a really good communicator, um, then I don't hire them. Uh, the couple of times that I did, it didn't work out. They didn't last long. So again, it's not, it's more about communication, adopting a culture, being passionate about it, wanting to help people and um, just being willing to work hard because it is hard. It's a lot of work. There's always something going on. My phone's going off at 10 o'clock at night, Saturdays, Sundays. And that's what sets, sets the good people apart from the average people is you pick up your phone. You talk to someone, even if you can't help them, you say, great, nice to talk to you, Mark. I know it's 930 at night. Um, talk to you in the morning. I know what you're looking for. I'll get back to you. But um, just the willingness to work and being a good communicator uh, is so much more important than where someone went to college, what their grades were. Um, those things might be important for other professions, but I don't think so, uh, not so much with this. Other than understanding the basic finances that go along with it, because you do have to be quick with the numbers, right? I mean, you are a smart guy, so there is a need for a level of intelligence in this business too. Yeah, I'm not saying there isn't, but the whatever finance, um, and this is personal finance, we're not talking about corporate finance. Nobody over here is doing calculus. Um, so the finance is easy. Anyone can learn it. I mean, mortgages, it's just debt. It's just, you know, rate times term times loan balance and it's finance, but it's not, it's not complicated finance. So the finance part can be taught really, really quickly. Um, obviously somebody should have some base, basic math aptitude, but you know, we don't need Harvard MBAs, um, and we don't need rocket scientists. We need people that can communicate, that will bring passion and integrity and, and are willing to really work hard. That's what we need. So Jeff, one of the goals that I have with this podcast is to bring everybody together, all of the guests at some point to an event, and the main event is karaoke. What's your go-to karaoke song? You're up on the mic. Well, it has been. I have a few, Mark. We, <laughs> we always talked about getting together and doing karaoke, but we never did it. But um, I, I do pretty good Johnny Cash. So Ooh. yeah, I think the, the, the one that I really enjoy doing is The Highwayman. Oh, nice. The one with Willie. Yeah, the one with Waylon Jennings, Willie Nelson, and Chris Christopherson. I love it. Um, and it's about the immortal soul, right? The highwayman. So uh, yeah, uh, that's my answer. I love it. I'm going to write that down and make sure that that's part of the uh, part of the list of psyched. That's a good one. 
Uh, most important question of them all today, Jeff, if someone were to want to get in touch with you, what's the best way to do that? So multiple ways, uh, my phone, 508-922-5232. That's the cell phone that I answer all the time. Uh, website is just my name.com, jeffpylon.com. Brings you right into my section of the secure radius portal. Um, and that has the email contact and text and there's, we have all kinds of slick gadgets. I have that mobile app that brings you to the same place. So either jeffpylon.com you can find me on Facebook or I'm not afraid of a phone call. I actually prefer a phone call. So I love it. Well, you've been around for a while. You understand the, the value of the phone. Old Jeff, school. I appreciate you very much coming on the show. Um, I hope uh, your database and your potential clients and referral partners maybe get to know you a little bit better through this. Thanks again, buddy. Thanks for having me, Mark. Appreciate it. Hey, thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, be sure to subscribe on your platform of choice for a new episode each week and share this with everyone and anyone. If you have any questions or comments or have an idea for another guest, feel free to shoot me an email at mstyles at styles-law.com. That's M-S-T-I-L-E-S at styles-law.com. And if you are a real estate professional, be sure to check us out on our private exclusive Facebook page, The Real Estate School at 892 for content and Massachusetts continuing education opportunities. Be well, folks. Today's episode is sponsored by Securitidle. Securitidle helps Massachusetts real estate attorneys, real estate agents, loan professionals, buyers, and sellers with all of their title, settlement, and escrow needs. Securitidle, S-E-C-U-R-I-T-I-T-L-E.com, where security and title come together. This podcast is being provided for informational purposes only. The podcast is not a comprehensive overview of the subject and is not intended to provide legal or financial advice or an endorsement of any product or business. The views expressed by podcast guests are their own and their appearance on the podcast does not imply any endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Please seek legal, financial, or tax advice before taking any action on the matters or products discussed herein.